You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Family, friends, fans, and foes, it's time to us again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. And I'm your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Well, we got a podcast for you. That's what we got going on. But before we get to the podcast, you know what we got to do. Hit us up on all those social media outlets on the Twitter at TNWPod on Talking Wrestling Podcast on the Instagram. Talking Wrestling Podcast on the Instagram. On the uh, Facebook, Talking Wrestling. Uh, give us a Gmail. Send us one of those Gmails. Send us a question for the Q&A. Coming up at the end of the season. Which will be the end of June. The big Q&A episode. I'm excited. A lot of questions coming in. Your question gets right on air. We'll send you a postcard. So, uh, yeah. Send those questions to TalkingWrestling at gmail.com. Um, you want to follow us on Spotify? We're on there. You want to follow us on uh, Google Play? I think we're on there. We're wherever popular uh, podcasts are found. We're on the Never Sleeps Network dot com. Uh, we're also on iTunes. And if you follow us on on the old iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe. Remember, if you give us a five star rating and a favorable review, uh, we'll send you a postcard from the eighties. You know, we still have Ric Flair available. Hasn't went anywhere. Just like the real Ric Flair, still with us today. Don't don't be negative. Be positive. All the best wishes for Ric Flair, uh, who I just met a couple weeks ago. So I would hate for anything to happen to him because uh, I just got these autographs from him. And, uh, well, they would go up in value probably. But anyway, it's better to have the champ still with us. Um, where else can we find you? We We hit the Twitter. We hit the Instagram. We hit the Gmail. We hit the Facebook. Is there something that I'm leaving out? Is there one that I'm leaving out? I can't even remember. Why can't I remember? I should know all these off by heart, as I do. However, um, you know, sometimes uh, things slip our minds, and uh, we can't get to them all right off the top of our head. But no, uh, oh, the Instagram, uh, the yeah, everything. I've said it all. I've said it all. I know what I'm doing up here. I know what I'm doing. Don't you question me. Hey, folks, how's your wrestling week be? Uh, This has been pretty good. Money in the Bank just happened. Did you have a good Money in the Bank? Um, I thought the Money in the Bank card was good. I enjoyed uh, the way they sort of screwed Becky over to get those two belts off her. Uh, I liked Bailey's run-in. I wanted Bailey to cash the money in. However, I was expecting Bailey to cash in on Becky. I wasn't expecting her to cash in on Charlotte because cashing in is a heel thing to do um, in that situation. However, they catch Bailey. Well, I'm not going to say she's the first face to do it. It's just very uncommon. CM Punk did it before on Edge that way when he was a face. But this Bailey was great. You know, she looked at the crowd. The crowd, yeah, do it, do it, and she uh, beat Charlotte and. Uh, it's fantastic. I think it's great. I'm I'm glad Bailey. It's about time that she has had the world title. Um, you know, she was when the four horsewomen were going. She was the just as equal as Becky and Charlotte and Sasha. And then they get to the main roster, and she sort of became the last of the four horsemen. But it's great to see her rewarded for um, staying, whereas Sasha Banks has taken her ball and gone home. So that is fine. Uh, what else did I like? I like, you know what? I like Brock Lesnar. I said it. I said it. I like Brock Lesnar. I li- I don't think he's wrecking wrestling. I think he's great for wrestling. I think more people should have contracts like Brock Lesnar. You know, I think there should be an off season in wrestling. I think they should alter. Like they have raw, they have SmackDown, they have NXT, you know, one, one brand could drop off for two months and have a two-month vacay while the other two brands step it up. 
Of course, that can't happen anymore because the way it's going to be set up for television is uh, the two major brands are on Monday and Friday night now, or pretty soon. Wednesday will be uh, NXT, whatever. But I think NXT could come in and step into whatever role it's needed and fill in for the two months on the main stage to showcase NXT. So twice a year, NXT would get four months of valuable air airtime, or at least the roster would. You know, I think that would be uh, something that's worth looking into because I think wrestlers need to go away and come back. It makes it exciting. Or at least if they alternate, like they rotated wrestling. Okay, these seven wrestlers, these ten wrestlers get the next two months off. And then these ten wrestlers get the next two months off. And then these, until until eventually every wrestler gets an off season, gets two months off to get better and uh, stronger, healthier. Anyways, uh, Brock Lesnar came back. He is the money in the bank. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it, and I love where it's going to be. Um, it's great. It's so good. He is such a heel. Everybody complained about it, but when he came out, that arena popped. I don't care what you said. I saw that arena pop. Um, AJ Styles versus uh, who did he? Uh, Seth uh, Seth Rollins was great, but I really loved the Kofi Kingston Kevin Owens match. Oh, wanted Kevin Owens to win it so much. Uh, yeah, Money in the Bank. I thought it was so far. I thought it was a pretty strong pay per view, and I don't know what I was expecting. Shane McMahon cowardly slipping out of his t-shirt to fall onto the ground to win the match. Brilliant. Great. That's great booking. That's entertaining. You know, that at least to me. But of course, everybody complains like it's fucking Game of Thrones. What is it with people complaining about everything these days? And then there are people that want to uh, petition Game of Thrones to uh to rewrite the season and redo it i'm like yeah you're gonna fucking pay for it you fucking loser no no that's not how it works so dumb so dumb the entitlement on fans these days to be like well you you know you don't have to like everything not everything is made for you you know and if you don't like it go somewhere else i hate people that just sit there and shit on the wwe then go watch something else go to your indies watch ring of honor watch new japan watch impact watch fucking mj major league wrestling on youtube watch the network watch the back catalog of something just stop complaining about the booking and the writers, you know, because like is like uh, Matt McCarthy from We Watch Wrestling says, when Vince McMahon's gone, you're gonna we're gonna miss him. All right, maybe wrestling might get better, but we're gonna miss Mr. McMahon, that's for sure. Because when they're gone, you know, what are you gonna do? Today, the day this episode comes out on May twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. Today is the 20th anniversary of the late great Owen Hart and his passing. And uh, that's an emotional one for me because I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, where I was, what I was doing. Um, basically, that day was in Ottawa, Canada. That's where I lived. was the uh, Junior Hockey Championship, the Memorial Cup Final. And the final game was between the hometown team, the Ottawa 67s, and they were playing from the WHL champions, the Calgary Hitmen. Now, for those of you who know, the Calgary Hitmen at the time, uh, Bret Hart was one of the co-owners, I do believe, and the team was named after him, the Hitmen. Their logo was fucking kick-ass, and uh, you've often seen Bret wearing Calgary Hitman jerseys in the ring, during his WCW days, uh, as it was, uh, this was 99, so he was in WCW at the time. Um, 
that day, I um, I went to the hockey game with my binoculars. You don't need binoculars in a junior hockey rink. It's not that big. Usually four to 5,000 seats, maybe 6,000. Of course, uh, this one being a little bit bigger, this one was 9,000. And uh, yet I still brought my binoculars, not to watch the hockey, but just so I could watch Bret Hart and his wife and his kids as they sat and watched the games on the lower side of the arena. Um, in between periods, I went over with my envelope, and in my envelope, I had my 1986 WWF magazine with Bret Hart on the cover, and it was his first solo uh, magazine cover by himself after uh, leaving the Hart Foundation. Or he was, didn't really leave, but he was more focused on his solo career. I went to Bret, and um, I asked him if I could get the magazine autographed, I told him uh, it really sucks that we don't get to watch you wrestle as much as we used to in Canada anymore because uh, after he left for WCW, the WCW never, they came up to Canada twice when I used to watch Bret Hart wrestle in Canada all the time. I saw a ladder match between him and Shawn Michaels in the arena that we were sitting in. You know, I said, I've seen some great matches that you've had here. And he said, yeah, I've had a few. And uh, it was a cool moment. It was a cool moment. Went back to my seat. Overtime happened. The Ottawa 67s won that game, beating the Calgary Hitman. Um, very happy. Everybody was happy. Uh, from what I know, Bret Hart left the game and went and hopped on a plane and started to fly to L.A. where he was going to be on The Tonight Show the next night. I went home. And... Um, had dinner and got ready to watch that night's WWE pay-per-view over the edge. Um, I watched that pay-per-view and uh, and I watched Owen Hart die that night. I met Bret Hart in the day and I watched his brother die at night. And uh, I'll never forget that pay-per-view. I taped it. I have it. I have the tape. I taped the two Raws afterwards, too, for the next two weeks. You know, it's just, uh, it was so sad. It was so sad that, uh, you know, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It happened. We sat there. I could not believe it. Um, and then JR came on later in the show and uh, announced the death of Owen Hart. And my mom just looked at me. And she said, are you okay? And I was a little upset. And uh, I'm a comedian by trade. and Usually I try to deflect things with humor. And I said to my mom, I said, yeah, I just feel really sorry for all the other wrestlers that have to go through with tonight. And she's like, yeah, I know. It's kind of terrible that they still have to work after their friend was, you know, died. And I said, yeah, and just... Think about The Undertaker, you know. He's got the longest night of them all. Not only does he have to defend his title, but he's going to have to dig a grave and make a coffin. And, you know, and I so I made that joke, and my mom sort of knew that I would be all right because I made an, an, a joke about it. But that's how I deal with things, you know. I write jokes on tragedies that make me sad. I did a 9-11 joke the day of 9-11. Stomp was the production. It was supposed to start at the National Gallery in Canada on 9-11 for a two-week run. This is a Broadway production called Stomp where they're master percussionists. They use, they use all sorts of garbage cans and brooms and matchsticks and plungers and whatever they can use to make percussion drumming sounds. They do it and they come together and they, they stomp their feet and they tap dance. and It's just such an incredible show. And, uh, you know, these were Broadway stars. And sure enough, 9-11 happened, so they canceled the, the two-week run. And I figured that's a good idea because, you know, they have families back in New York City. And they're probably wondering about them and if they're all right. And, you know, and uh, another good reason why they canceled it is they're going to need all those brooms and dustpans and garbage cans to help clean up that city. So that was one of the first jokes I wrote about 9-11. People didn't like it. It's a good joke, though. I stand by it. Hey, do you have any own heart memories? 
Um, you know, uh, if you do, we're going to be posting an Owen Hart, obviously, picture of Owen tomorrow on the Instagram. Uh, if you have any memories, leave your stories there or send them to us on Talking Wrestling, and we'll read them on the Q&A episode. Uh, folks, um, yeah, it's just uh, 20 years, 20 years without Owen Hart. And still, I'm learning new things. Like, I learned this week that um, that uh, Owen Hart's gimmick after the Blue Blazer thing that they were going to do was they were going to make him this wrestler called The Game. And he was going to be an expert technician, and he knew everything. He knew, and he was The Game. And it was like, uh, you know, game over. Like, basically, he was supposed to be Hunter's character. And then when Owen died, that character was just sitting there on the shelf and they repackaged it and made it Hunter. So, you know, it kind of sucks because it would have been, been crazy to see Owen Hart as the game, that character. I would have loved to see where that could have went. I remember when he started coming back and he started attacking Hunter and Sean in every chance he could get to avenge his brother. He was coming out of the audience. He was getting so much heat. They only did that a couple of weeks because he was getting too popular. And they had to shut it down. Anyways, folks, God bless Owen Hart. 20 years gone. So sad. Gone too soon. I still watch his matches to this day. I still love his stories to this day. Uh, if you want to hear a great story, go to the episode with Jason Sensation. And listen to Jason Sensation talk about Owen Hart. And uh, talk about when Owen Hart slapped a slap shooter on him in the middle of the ring. How they got ready for it. It's fantastic. Um, that's a story that you all need to hear. So uh, head to the Jason Sensation episode. And uh, listen to what he has to say about Owen Hart. Because that's entertaining. Other than that folks, we have got a great issue for you today. Chinlock Wrestling 5 is coming up quickly, June 15th in Kingston. We got a stacked card. It's an amalgamation of House of Hardcore, Smash Wrestling Toronto, and Chinlock Wrestling from Kingston are all coming together to build a super card with a, with a, that is 100% for charity. All the money goes to charity. Youth Diversion. That's the charity in Kingston. It all goes to the kids. What, you got something against the kids? The kids in Kingston? Come on. Get your ass out to this charity show. It's going to be amazing. Not only is the card amazing, I'm not even going to go on the card, but the Legends Con, the Comic Con, the Wrestling Con, the Legends Convention that they're having in the daytime is amazing. Bret Hart is there. The Brain Busters are there. Jimmy Hart is there. Badass Billy Gunn is there. Um... Tommy Dreamer's there. Hornswoggle's there. Mark Henry's there. Uh, the, the names go on and on. Not only that, Talking Wrestling will be there. We will have a booth there. We'll be running some raffles. Come see us there. And I'll tell you who else will be there. Today's guest, uh, who is uh, one of the, uh, well, it, it, you know, Smash Wrestling has the pillars well, this gentleman is one of the pillars of uh, Chinlock Wrestling. I'll tell you that right now. And uh, he is on today. He is one of the promoters, uh, one of the uh, guys uh, that works hard behind the scenes of Chinlock. He is uh, the partner of uh, Jan Murphy, who has been on the show numerous times, uh, who runs Chinlock. And uh, this man is, uh, you know, uh, he's been doing a great job as well with Chinlock. Uh, he is the number one heel there. Um, you know, you might know him as CJ Felony, but uh, we've got the real deal on the show today. The man who is CJ Felony, Justin Cousineau, is on the show today. And we're going to throw to him right now where Casey is in Kingston and has him in studios. Casey, take it away. Folks, with me at this time in studio, uh, I am in studio on tour in beautiful Kingston, Ontario, and uh, we are very excited because Kingston is a hotbed for wrestling in the last five years, and I'm sitting here right now with uh, with a man of all, jack of all trades, 
and we're going to talk about those trades today on the show. Justin Cousineau, how are you, man? Uh, I'm me. great. Yeah, great. And uh, maybe jack of all trades, but master of none. So. Ma- <laughs> hey, you know, titles are great. Sometimes they're meaningless, yep. but titles are great. So I you've seen my that. business card. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, no, I have not seen your business card, but I, I love business cards. So well, I'll make uh, sure you get one before the show's out. <laughs> yeah, well, I read one of your Facebook posts that said everything that you've been involved in. And it was like, holy shit, this guy has done so much and uh, and worked with so many people, and uh, you know, whether it be promoting uh, bands or concerts or wrestling. Or just anything, any promoting anything. So yeah. So, um, anyways, um, but today we're talking wrestling, and that's what we're doing. And you are involved heavily in wrestling. Yes. Being a uh, somewhat of a promoter, and uh, not only that, you are a wrestler, and uh, we got a lot of things in Kingston going on. So, um, just as a as a, you know, where did your love for wrestling start? And when we get to, like, what is your origin story? So, uh, my dad and I. Um, really bonded over wrestling at a very I, I was very young I might have been three years old and I can remember sitting down and watching wrestling with my dad and watching Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant on the screen um, you know as far back as uh, I've got pretty vivid memories of Wrestlemania 2 and Wrestlemania 3 um, and I'm sure I was watching wrestling before that so that's what uh, what my dad and I really bonded over was baseball and uh, pro wrestling so very young and it really um you know, it stuck with me my entire life. Yeah, that was the same for me. It was my mom. My mom watched wrestling because her grandfather or my grandfather watched wrestling, mm-hmm. and she watched wrestling, and she knew all the wrestlers. And uh, she was watching wrestling with my older brother. Right. And he wasn't. Yeah, you know, he was into it. It was like '84 yeah. Hulkamania, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. T showed up on wrestling one day, and I was obsessed with the A Team. Sure. And I ran up the stairs to see what was going on with Mr. T. And I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. Is Hulk Hogan? Why is who who is this guy? Why is Cindy Lauper there? <laughs> Who's the guy in the dress? What the fuck is going on yeah. here? It yeah. was just 100% chaos, and it was like all the events that led that started the the push to WrestleMania. Yeah. Um. So I got in when when the time was ripe. Yeah. And, and I say the same thing. Like I, I'm very fortunate. I, I'm 37 years old. Um. You know, I was three years old when WrestleMania one happened. Uh, and I can remember it. I mean, you, you know, you don't have a lot of really vivid childhood memories, but I can really remember WrestleMania 1, and I always tell everybody, I mean, I got in at the ground level at, at a very, you know, young age and a, a very lucky time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, it is great, because it's like, you know, um, last week I had a guy on the show who watched it as a child, drifted away, and then came back, and it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, and now loves it all over again. And um, that's a good thing about wrestling is, it's something that's like, it's like Star Wars. It's directed towards kids. It's mm-hmm. for kids, mm-hmm. but it's very easy for adults to enjoy as well. Right. And when you watch things, like when you're watching a movie when you're a kid, you're not watching the movie to see how great the acting skills are. <laughs> right. You're blown away by the hoopla of it all. Yeah, sure. But as you get older, you're like, oh, I wouldn't have done that with the script. I would yeah. have done... Star Wars fans are very comparable to wrestling fans. <laughs> They're like, that's not how I would have written it. You right, know? And sure. Like, and that's what you hear all the time all about the time. wrestling fans. Yeah, all the time. You, you never hear a kid saying, I can't believe Dean Ambrose is going out on his back like this. Right. You know? It's like, <laughs> right, yeah, right. You know, but... You, you know, but the, and then the father's like, well, don't worry, sons. Pretty soon, John Moxley will make a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Dean Ambrose will be a number one. You know, so it's, it's great. It's great. Um, now, so yeah, so that's great. Now, you know, how do you, now how, at what point did you want to become a wrestler? So, um, last night, uh, it wasn't last night that I wanted to become a wrestler. Wow. (laughs) Just today. Uh, no, last night we started our Chinlock Wrestling School. Uh, and I told this story. My, uh, my childhood best friend, his name is Rob. Um, we both, you know, really loved wrestling and we were enamored by the characters and the bright colors and the theme music and the lights and all that stuff. Um, so we started, and I call it backyard wrestling, but it wasn't really backyard wrestling. We were like bedroom or living room. Whenever his parents would leave, we would throw yeah. mattresses down on the floor and start body slamming each other and being idiots and tearing up the house and getting ourselves in shit all the time. Yeah. Uh, I was about 12 years old when that, and that's where I said to myself, like, I have to do this. This is, this is what I was put on this earth to do. Even if I only go through the curtain once, just once, that's all I need. Just to hear my name, just to hear my music. 
that's it. Like, yeah. I don't care if I get the shit kicked out of me. I just have to have that happen once. So 12 years old is when, when that dream hatched. Wow. You know, and like, it's sort of funny because I found comedy around this. Like, I was a wrestling fan before comedy, but I was always watching comedy. Uh, comedy, but it wasn't like Eddie Murphy was the guy where I was like, I saw Eddie Murphy and I was like, that, I have to do that. That's mm-hmm. what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of it all. But, you know, I get so jealous uh, at wrestling. Uh, we, it's just like, who wouldn't want to walk, have their name announced, have the place go yeah. nuts, just that, that walk around. Like, I remember at uh, Just for Laughs years ago, Mick Foley was doing a midnight show. And uh, I'm like, I, I've never seen Mick Foley yet or his, or his stand-up. Right. And I was like, I wonder what this is going to be like. And sure enough, you know, I didn't even think about it. That the But the... The way the room was set up, there was an aisle that ran right down the middle, mm-hmm. and it was both sides. And so enough, sure enough, uh, Brendan Burns, I think, was the comedian who uh, introduced him and brought him on stage. And uh, he's a, he's a, I think he's a European comic. And uh, then all of a sudden, Mick Foley's music hits. And immediately, you re- you hear the music, your reaction is you turn your head backwards. Sure. Yeah. It's just that's the way, if you're in yeah. a live venue, and that's what everybody did. Yeah. And then sure enough, he walked down the center. I'm like... And I got goosebumps. And I was yeah. like, fuck, he's doing it in the comedy, too. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's something about coming on, like, entering the stage or coming on a theme music that just makes it better than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And still, like now, um, we just had a show this past Saturday. And yeah. I had spent a ton of time um, kind of constructing, not not just the event itself, but physically building the ring um finding the venue every single chair in that that venue i touched swept the floors mopped the floors everything everything yeah was either done by me or over or overseen by me um and as i was standing behind the curtain just before my music hit that first note hit and i got the goosebumps again and i, I just thought like this is why i keep doing this this is why i keep killing myself yeah because there's no better feeling than hearing your name coming through the curtain, you know, the music, the, and as a bad guy, hearing the people boo and, you know, throw shit at you and stuff. That's, I just, I can't get enough. I still can't get enough. No, it's, it, it's the natural, it's the best. It's, I'll tell you, and it's the same when you kill a show and you walk off stage and it's the best natural high. Oh yeah, that you can get. It's not. It's better than any drug. Yeah, like I can't. I think. I think I. I smoke weed to chase the highs that I get on stage. <laughs> sure, of a of a great set. You know, because when you walk off, you know you can you can feel so good about that for days. Sure, you know you can just like close your eyes, look back, think about what you did two days ago, and think how awesome was that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and the fact that you know we're not the only like that's for how we feel. How are the people that watch the show feel? Exactly. That's you know? exactly it. Yep, you're right. And uh, wrestling is always... It, it, it's so comparable to comedy. It, the, the, the two... I think I always say Andy Kaufman was the first one to really realize that they're the same mm-hmm. and infuse them both together. Yeah. And I think this is why I'm so excited to meet Jimmy Hart <laughs> on June 15th yeah. here in Kingston, Ontario. Because I'm going to get... I, Andy Kaufman's dead. Yeah. But Jimmy Hart used to manage Andy Kaufman in Memphis. Yep. Jimmy Hart's the only person that's managed like three of my idols, whether it be uh, Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, and, 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 Andy, and Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Like those are... It's, I didn't realize you were such an Andy Kaufman fan. I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan myself, so that, for me, is, is exactly why I want to meet Jimmy Hart. I've never met him over the years, and if, for me, it's exciting because he was so close to Andy yeah. uh, for so many years. So, I mean, I'll probably annoy, annoy him with a thousand questions. Maybe but we should do it together. Yeah, maybe. Like, <laughs> I'm because, sure we'll hit a bunch of the same. Well, the one, the one question I thought of during the Hall of Fame this year was, um, I don't, I, you, I can only ask this to Jimmy and to Jerry, right? Because they were the only people that we really know. But I'm like, I want to know what Andy Kaufman's thoughts, what they think Andy Kaufman's thoughts would be, uh, regarding the Honky Tonk Man, right? Because Andy loved Elvis, yeah, and he loved bad guy wrestling, yep. And I was like, would he be jealous that he did not think of this? I always kind of wondered if, 
Wayne Ferris, when he came up with the character, maybe modeled it after the fact that, you know, Andy Kaufman was so successful with um, his Elvis character on stage and was such a wrestling fan. Just kind of in the back of my mind, always kind of thought that that was probably where it came from. I don't know the true origins of the story. But we know that they both, both of them originated in Memphis. That's right. So, you know, like I only, I honestly believe only two people, like, you know, um, Jimmy might, you know, somewhat know, but yeah. I fucking think Jerry would know. Everything. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I think so. So like even, even with the, um, the documentary that was on Netflix, well, that mm-hmm. it still is on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. About the making of the movie. Yep. Um, amazing. It's so amazing. Good. But you wonder like, are we be, are we still being worked by Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman? Yeah. You wonder <laughs> because when you see a documentary attached to something like this was made, 20 years ago so yeah and jim knew what he was doing he yep. wasn't even jim he was living as andy yep and i and, and that's not a, a that's not a joke that wasn't a work no it was a real thing because uh wayne fleming who uh who was jim carrey's best friend for a long time uh he told me yeah jim i have not talked to jim in a year well i, I mean even then i it, it, when that movie first came out i, I think it was 1999 um the internet wasn't in very many, you know, homes yeah. just yet. But no. uh, I was, I was lucky enough to have it, and I can remember reading stories about them making that movie and how difficult Jim Carrey was to work with because not only had he, you know, begun method acting Andy Kaufman, but he truly believed he was yes. he was living as Andy Kaufman. And you know, as a, I guess I would have been maybe seventeen or eighteen years old at the time. It was hard for me to understand, but as I've also become my own character. Um, and I often speak about sometimes how hard it is for me to come down from, you know, CJ felony is, is me, but it's not really me. Like there, there's an element of that character sometimes takes over my body and I do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do or have the guts to do or say, or whatever the case may be. So, um, to see the, the documentary and see some of the difficulties that those actors went through. And even Jerry Lawler himself, you know, saying Jim Carrey's an asshole. Yeah. And, you know, when he gave him the pile driver, he really gave him the pile driver to say, well, if this is what you want, then this is what you're going to get. Um, fascinating to me. And Jim Carrey's spoken at length after the fact at how much it's changed his life. You know, from that day forward, he's been been different. Yeah, and it's so interesting too, like to get lost in the character and stuff like that. And it's just like yeah, Jerry Lawler was talking. He, he would say about it. He's like, I, you know, Jim Carrey would try to route. Like, he was, he was. I don't understand what this guy doesn't get. Did he read the script? Right. He was. Andy and I were always in on it. We right. were friends. Andy yeah. respected me. Yeah. You know, and so now we're like, I don't know. I was like, because if if Jim wanted to relive everything. He figured he's got to figure out how can we work them again, right? So like, it's not the exact same. So now I'm believing that Jerry was in on all the potential works because all these stories came out through. If it wasn't the internet, they came out through the Hollywood Reporter. Yep. That oh my God, Jim like Jim Carrey has gone nuts. Yep. And and uh, Jerry Lawler had to get thrown off the set. Yep. And all this stuff and and then you know so it was just like it was totally it was totally insane and uh, yeah so I want to know. Whether, like, how Andy feels about the Honky Tonk Man character. Like, is he jealous? Or does he think that's why? I just think he'd be jealous. I think he'd be angry. Maybe. But, but, yeah, like, maybe. You know, uh, he's like, I could, and, that, and the feud that they could have had. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? He's like, you, <laughs> you took everything that I did, yeah. and you just did it for yourself. Yeah. Like, I could just see it. Oh, my God. God bless Andy. Um, who is every year is my number one choice to be in the Hall of Fame? And, yes, and absolutely. Because I couldn't agree with you more. You know, if you're putting in celebrities and you have a celebrity wing, in which I don't even think he belongs in celebrity wing. You think, think he belongs he, in the wrestling ring? You're fucking right yeah. he does. Yeah, Because nobody took wrestling and put it on the pedestal of the David Letterman show. Right. He, in one night, he made Jerry Lawler a household name. Yep, you're Jerry right. Lawler's biggest credit yep. is because of Andy Kaufman. Yep, you're right. And you know what? Like, Vince McMahon Sr., it was just Andy was two years too early. Yeah. Vince Jr. would have ate that up. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Vince Sr. would have nothing to do with it. And you wonder often, or at least I did, um, whether or not he modeled that kind of rock and wrestling and cross-promotion after the fact that it was so successful, um, at, you know, beginning in Memphis, but then hitting national television with David Letterman, and it just blew up. I think, well, Jesus, I think, you know, Memphis is, uh, you know, as far as wrestling goes, 
the Memphis territory, Jerry Lawler's Memphis, has probably contributed more to modern day wrestling uh, than any other wrestling out there. Like, yeah. More than Mid South, more than World Class, right? More than you know, uh, AWA, because of the development of the characters that they developed and who they developed and the storylines, like. You know, and uh, fans on the show might hear okay, it was Casey again, but like, um, <laughs> I stumbled. Like my roommate showed me this. He goes, "Have you ever watched the McMemphis videos?" I'm like, "What are these?" And oh, they're it's great. '92 yeah. McMemphis. Yeah. Yep. So it's like Vince was field testing. Yeah. The, the Mr. Evil McMahon. McMahon character yep. five years before, yep. and not only that, it's coincidentally he was Brett was there with him. Yeah. Right. And and then Brett was working on the heel character but loved everywhere else but the heel in memphis i'll say i mean and and not to kind of change the story but i think that the mr mcmahon character was was born by accident uh he may have been field testing it in memphis um and if if whoever's listening to this if they haven't seen those videos find them they're amazing there's 30 of them they're on youtube unreal uh the the brett screwed brett promo yeah i don't think was intentional to to um bear what became mr mcmahon yeah because that character didn't really start to develop until you started to see it a little bit in january more so in february where um you know it was clear that he wasn't going to support stone cold steve austin as world heavyweight champion uh and then really pulled the trigger in march after wrestlemania uh and into the dude love feud of course but um, yeah, if you can go back and look at that 1992 tape, that is the kind of the the guideline to what later became Mr. McMahon and ultimately the best heel character in, in wrestling history. Greatest heel. Like, where he's wearing the Memphis title and, yeah. like, he's like, and he's making fun of it at yeah. the same time. Yeah. It's just so good. It's yep. so good. And it's just like it's so cool for him to even, you know, do that for Jerry. Right. You know, and, and it shows and, a lot of respect. He didn't have to do that stuff. Well, you know, I think he has a lot of respect for Jerry Lawler as well as Jerry Jarrett. Right. You know, and uh, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, so now, um, so let's talk about uh, CJ. Sure. So where did you? Where did you? Uh, so you you knew at fourteen, but where did you? Um, where did you go to wrestling school? So um, I was kind of blessed to uh, not traditionally attend wrestling school when I first started mm-hmm. um, breaking into wrestling, and I say blessed. It might sound like a funny word um, because when I started breaking into wrestling in about it would have been uh, two thousand and one. Um, it was still a really guarded business. Yes. They, you know, uh, independent wrestlers especially were out to prove that they were every bit as valuable as what you were seeing on television. And they weren't about to let a skinny 17, 18 year old kid into the locker room and just kind of gift him wrestling. Um, but what I did was, uh, there was a local, um, promotion that came to, or I shouldn't say a local promotion, but a smaller promotion that came here locally uh, to the Iron Horse Saloon, which is now a giant tiger on Princess Street. But at the <laughs> time, used to be a, a country western bar, great big country western bar. Yeah. They, uh, they had a local promoter here who, um, towards uh, showtime, his referee hadn't shown up and he pulled me aside and he, you know, a longtime friend of mine said to me, you don't know, n- nobody knows wrestling better than you. Um, and I really need a referee. Is, there, is this something that you can help me with? And, you know, two, two schools of thought. One, this is all I've ever dreamed about. Oh, I can't wait to step in a wrestling ring. And, but two, and the one that overrode was terror. I, there's no way I can do it. So I told him, no, I can't. Uh, I'm you know, too afraid. Of, you know, I'm going to screw it up. I don't, I don't want to. And he just, he would not stop. Please, please, please. Like, I'm desperate. I need somebody. Nobody's going to be able to do a better job than you. And I'm really, really stuck. And finally, and thank God, I caved and did it. Um, yeah. Refereed my first match. I was, I think I was 18 years old. Uh, but from there, the people who set up the ring that day, the, it was a ring rental company yeah. uh, had come. And at the end, they said, you know, if you're really interested in wrestling, um, if you travel to uh, some of these other shows that we rent the ring, if I've got time, if you help set up, I'll help you learn uh, how to become a wrestler. So that's that's really where I broke in. The CJ Felony character wasn't born until a number of years after that. Um, I was beaten up by pretty much every name 
you know, Canadian wrestling name, Ontario, yeah. especially that you can think of. I, I had the opportunity to get in, in the ring with just about everybody. And that's where the blessed part comes in because I've really had the opportunity to sit under everybody's learning tree at every, you know, kind of grade level, so to speak of, of pro wrestling and learned a lot. I've learned that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of right ways to do wrestling, but there's also a lot of wrong, uh, ways. So it's a little easier for me to kind of filter through, yeah. um, people who only go to one wrestling school and then they kind of get their graduation certificate, so to speak, and then move on. I don't think, uh, become as successful because they don't have that, um, you know, second voice in their head or third voice in their head saying, maybe there's a different way that I can do this. Uh, you know, y- your way of thinking about pro wrestling is going to be different than my way of thinking about pro wrestling. So there's lots of different voices in your head that'll kind of help you structure that match. Um, CJ felony though was born, uh, uh, a friend of mine was sick and he passed away. And mm-hmm. when he did, his name is Rich Kernot. Um, he passed away um, in 2003 and left behind uh, a lot of wrestling kind of memorabilia. And he had purchased some wrestling tights and that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the companies uh, in Cornwall that was promoting, uh, he you know was in constant contact with and he was traveling to those shows and they wanted to do a bit of a tribute to him. Yeah. Uh, so I got involved there, um, you know, being a friend of his to have a match. And basically I wore his tights, his mask, uh, and we just needed to come up with a name that, that kind of fit the look. Um, it was never really meant to be anything more than a one-off just to do it and say that I did it in tribute to, uh, to Rich. Uh, and here we are all these years later and it's, it's still stuck. Of course, the look has evolved. The character's definitely involved, but uh, that's where it all started. That's crazy, and that's awesome. Um, you know, it's crazy that you that you had to get in there as a ref at eighteen, and uh, they pretty much just figured you know how to you know how to ref a match. You watch <laughs> it on TV. Yeah, yeah, you basically, know? yep. Yeah, so so it's like, you know, I would always be worried about getting in the way. I'll tell you that the wrestlers were not accepting of the fact that I was there. Um, there, there were probably I, I, they wouldn't let me change in the change room. I had to change yeah. in the hallway. They, yeah. It was so guarded. I didn't know the match finishes. I didn't know the wrestlers. I didn't know who I was working with at all. They, I changed in a hallway completely separate from everybody else. The only person that really welcomed me in was this promoter. His name is Darren Hewitt, uh, who still remains to be one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, and then even the second time that I refereed the same experience and the third time and so on, it was a long time before I was welcomed in because I really was an outsider and I didn't have any formal training. Um, It was a success. I, when I got into the ring the first time I tripped over the ropes. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I can empathize with Batista Yeah, (laughs) at WrestleMania, much smaller stage, but certainly, I mean, I was embarrassed and of course that gets inside your head and you don't really know what to do and you already don't know what to do. So, you know, uh, at the end when I did it and you get that, that rush and that sense of accomplishment, I knew again then that this was what I was going to do. Yeah, because it's like you know, it's uh, even raffing like you're you're still included. Like as a ref, you're still included in the match. You're a big part of the match. Absolutely. You're kind of at some point, if you're with the match, you're kind of directing the match at some point. Definitely. Too. And uh, you know, it's um, I can't just jumping down a count of pin and mm-hmm. then. And then throwing yourself down on the mat, you know, and then yeah. getting back up really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, those are drills I haven't done since football. Right. You know, and a lot of people don't think about that kind of stuff because, you know, a wrestler has one match and maybe they're, they're in the ring for 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Oftentimes the referee ref, referees, you know, two or three or four matches. Some independent referees will referee an entire card and you may have, you know, 10 or 12 matches that you're up and down and up and down. You've got to make sure that, you know who you're in the ring with, what they're going to be doing. There's, there's, you know, you're directing a lot of traffic and yeah. trying to keep a lot of different personalities in line. Yeah. You know, it, 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 and that's, yeah. So it's, you know, like I'm always hard on referees at live events. <laughs> uh, you're like, that guy, eh? <laughs> I'm that, oh, I get, I get so mad. Like if there's inconsistencies, I get upset. And I was at, uh, I was at uh, Joey, Jan- Joey Janela's LA Confidential oh, yeah. uh, Survivor Series weekend in yep. LA, and uh, I was like calling out the. I'm like, Ref, you gotta, you gotta start the count on that man. <laughs> and I'm start, and then like after two matches, it was like, 
Please remember that all matches are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I didn't hear that at the start. <laughs> but I was like, it, matches might be no rules, but I still think you should somewhat enforce some. You know, no rules like, is no rules. No rules can mean no disqualifications. Like, see, so if it's no disqualification, there's still rules. Yeah. You know, you're just not going to get disqualified, but I think it would be the ref's job to still count it. And be like, okay, after five, I'm not counting anymore. But you know what you're doing is bad. You know? <laughs> right, all right. Um, I just like, uh, I like, I like counts. You know, and um, so that's so that's great. Now tell us, uh, CJ. Now tell us about CJ. Um, who have some of his best matches been with? Uh, who have his feuds been with? I know he's currently feuding with with uh, Jan Murphy. It seems that's right. Who is the um, the promoter and uh, head of Chinlock yes. Wrestling? Yes. And uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, so, see, as you had mentioned, I, I think probably my best rivalry has been uh, with Jan Murphy, and it's because it's so personal. Um, we both take Chinlock Wrestling very very seriously. Uh, and its role in the community, but we also approach it very differently. Um, so a lot of what you see uh, in the ring or in the promos that we post on YouTube, a lot of that, I mean, we get questions all the time. Is this real? Is what you did real? Is what you said real? Um, I got to dance on a fine line because a lot of that is, you know, real emotion and, and real feeling coming through uh, whatever it is that we're doing. Um you know, I, I love Jen. He's my brother, but very easy to channel hatred <laughs> and, and put it out there for entertainment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, CJ Felony has been around in its incarnation since, um, I guess, 2003 or 2004. Uh, and I'm very lucky it's traveled me all over the place. I've wrestled with um, Hall of Famers. I've wrestled with legends. Um, I've wrestled in front of... Um, I think the biggest crowd I've ever wrestled in front of is 3,000 people, and we're hoping to break that with Chinlock Wrestling this year. And the smallest crowd I've ever wrestled in front of is six people, um, which was difficult. But, you know, <laughs> it's uh, each, each time I come through the curtain, it's such a unique experience that that six-person crowd still stands out as being, uh, you know, such a, a fond memory because to get to, and, and I can't speak for comedy, but I'm sure you would feel the same way to elicit a reaction out of those six people in such a quiet room. Yeah. Uh, you know, each individual voice stands out, and, and they're aware of that too. So if they're going to cheer or boo, it's not a crowd, it's an individual. Um, it's hard to get that reaction, so if you can do it, it makes you feel... Uh, like you're accomplishing something. Uh, and then when you get into a big room full of 3,000 people, that's 3,000 different personalities that you're trying to, uh, you know, make your character work for, or your presentation work for. Um, so again, a, a completely unique challenge that not everybody really thinks about when, when a wrestler's coming through that curtain. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, who, that's true. Uh, I know I've been lucky enough to see you. Um, uh, you, I've seen you, um, Get a, a hundred dollar bill shoved down your throat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the Virgil wasn't there, so did you get to keep it? Uh, it's just so funny story. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happened was the the bill went into my mouth, which, by the way, tasted awful. And uh, one of the other wrestlers took it out of out of my mouth, and he kept it. Um, <laughs> so when we got backstage, I said, um, like, I didn't really think about it. it. It hadn't occurred to me that this was now a piece of my life, like, that I would really want to keep. Yeah. I was still kind of coming down from the match and, you know, the success of the event and that kind of stuff. Um, so I just said, hey, like, if you've got it, do you mind if I take a picture of it? Um, just so I have it. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. So I took a picture of it. Uh, DiBiase had autographed it. Um, yeah. And that was it. And then a couple of weeks later, I uh, went to my mailbox and opened it, and there was a like a birthday card in it. Um, it was a Christmas card, um, and in it it said like, "I didn't even think that you might want this. I'm so sorry. I hope like you're not offended that I took it, but here it is." And there was also a, a trading card of Ted DiBiase, and the wrestler that had taken it had asked my girlfriend for our address. Um, because once he got home, he thought to himself, "Well, sh shit, Justin probably wants that." Yeah. Um, so. In a roundabout way, the next time I had the opportunity to work with Ted DiBiase, I got a different dollar bill autographed and sent it to Jason so that he had one as well. So it was kind of a like a unique story, but I do have it um, and cherish it, of course. But Yeah. Well, that's great. Now, and, and I saw you also, you get chopped by Ricky Steamboat. Yes. And that was, that was also great. Like, just... Uh, um, 
very exciting to um, get in. Just a, very exciting to see, uh, you know, Steamboat throw those classic chops. Absolutely. And if you had us told, uh, I guess it would have been maybe five-year-old Justin that I was going to stand in the ring with Ricky Steamboat and take chops, I would have I would have died. I would yeah. have died right then and there. And then all I was thinking as it was happening was, please, God, don't hurt me. <laughs> like, please don't or don't screw it up. I mean, I guess that was probably the overriding thought was, you know, everybody's watching you and this yeah. is it's such a unique once in a lifetime opportunity. Don't screw it up. Uh, so it went off. And as he hit me, what has now kind of become tradition is I lay dead in the ring at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and there was such an overwhelming sense of relief that it it went off. And I mean, I could hear the people talking about it and how... how oh, no, I popped huge. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I popped it's, huge. It's so, like, to create a moment, I just laid there and I was just like, oh, my God, I did it. Like, I could have died right there and died happy. The only thing missing was an arm drag. Yeah, You know right. what I mean? But, like... Yeah. But there were so many people in the ring at the time when it's happening. Yeah, you know where are you where are you going to get that arm drag? When we pitch these ideas to um, to the talent, I mean, I fight against them uh, more often than not. Jan typically comes up with these ideas because I think he just likes seeing me get my ass kicked <laughs> more than anything. Uh, and I usually say no. I mean, we should really try to get other talent involved. But he, I mean, again, he kind of pushes me towards things that I don't think that I'm capable of. And then, you know, these moments w yeah. that I'm so blessed to have happen. Um, so, you know, the D the DiBiase thing happened, and then he had pitched um, this this uh, moment that we're talking about with Steamboat. Um, and again, as he was kind of going through it with me, he said he was going to give me, a, you know, a chop and an elbow, and then punch me in the, the head. I just thought there's no way this is actually going to happen in my life. Like I just couldn't ever put myself in those shoes. Yeah. So even as it was happening, it was so difficult for me to believe that it was actually about to happen. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. And I was there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, so you, um, so now also uh, Tyson kid, you guys had Tyson kid yeah. come in and he ran a seminar. Yep. So what was that like? Like, um, so from someone who like uh, a lot of these wrestlers come in and they do seminars with with the your wrestlers yes uh, in the day so what are the seminars like and how and how do they and how are they? Uh, it's such a cool experience not just for me but for, you know for a lot of the other talent um, because you know a guy like Tyson Kidd carries a very important position at WWE and it's an opportunity for them to kind of show off their stuff a little tiny bit um, and you know potentially land themselves either a tryout or maybe even a job with yeah. uh, with the biggest company in the world. Um, the Ricky Steamboat seminar was the very first time that we had ever attempted to do something like that. And as the evolution of Chinlock Wrestling um, continues, you know, these, uh, these types of things, whether it's seminars or now this convention that we're working on, um, kind of continue to grow as well. So the, the Ricky Steamboat seminar was us kind of dipping our toes in the water. The Tyson Kidd seminar, um, you know, was, was very well attended yeah. and an all-day affair. Uh, the Steamboat Seminar was just a couple of hours, but these guys got to sit with Tyson Kidd and pick his brain and ask him questions and, you know, specifically what is WWE looking for? How do I get a job there? What do I have to do? What do I have to change? How do I, you know, w what is the presentation that they'd like to see? Uh, and how can I package that and, and get it in front of them? So, uh, you know, a super, super unique opportunity uh, for, for a lot of guys. Yeah, and that's, and that's fantastic because, uh, you know, how... How else, you know, you're not going to get down there to Florida to go, to, to, you can't just walk in the performance center. Right. You know, so to have someone who works at the performance center and who produces matches, and not only that, who is such a great, great wrestler on his own, I still say he's a great wrestler to this day. Because Absolutely. I don't think he was ready to lose that, and I don't think no. it's fair to take it away from him. And he spoke to that. Um, you know, he, I think, you know, if physically capable he would still be wrestling now there's no reason why he wouldn't be and i still think that he would be the best wrestler that they had now yeah um very hard to argue that point it just sucked when his injury happened because him and him and um him and uh, cesaro were so good together. yeah like look at the bar revived yep seamus's career yep and uh seamus was very lucky that tyson kidd had that took that bump yeah and like because um, technically, you know, I look at it, that should be Tyson's spot with right. the bar. And it probably would have been had that not happened. Yeah. So with that said, 
Let's talk about Chinlock. Let's talk about um, number one. First of all, before we get into Chinlock, you have a match at Chinlock with <laughs> Bill Wachiska, yeah, formerly of Much Music for all you Canadians, loves the name there, but also a Kingston personality. And I got to tell you, I've seen this bum in in a, in a battle <laughs> royal before. Yeah, and he trying to buy his way out of it. And yeah, and he's not, he is not believable. And I think that uh, this is the year that CJ Felony is not going to be on his back, and that you're you're going to have your arm raised. There, there and is. I think this is going to happen. There is absolutely no way that I I leave that uh, arena on my back as I have in prior years against Bill Walichka. Um The thing about Bill is. He's he's a massive wrestling fan. He's no different than you and I in that respect. Yeah. Um, you know, loves pro wrestling, has done a lot of great goodwill uh, for Chinlock Wrestling and just wrestling in general when he was in Ottawa uh, in the news media there. He was doing the same thing. Um, and uh, again, to separate the promoter side and, and the pro wrestler side, I'm thankful for what Bill Wolitschka brings to the table in that respect. Yes. Uh, but when he tries to cross into my world, into my ring, that's where I draw a line. I, uh, I'm not sitting here pretending to be a newscaster. I'm thankful that you're giving me the opportunity and putting a microphone in my hand. Not a lot of people will do that because you never know what I'll say. Yeah. But, uh, you're, you're not asking me to pitch the news or, or say the weather. And if you did, I would tell you no, because I've got a certain amount of respect for the people who have done that and who have worked hard to get there. Uh, Bill Wolitschka has not done that in pro wrestling. He, no. you know, to, to help out and to, you know, say a nice word or two on the air is one thing, but to step in and pretend that you're a wrestler against uh, an 18 year angry veteran yeah. is a mistake. Uh, and I'm going to show him how much of a mistake he's making on June 15th. And in Kingston, a town filled with prisoners, right? You, you're the most dangerous one of them all. I would say I am. And uh, now let's talk about some of the other uh, fantastic things. You talked about, you touched on the uh, the Legends uh, Conference. Yeah. Uh, so that is uh, running from 10 to 4 on uh, uh, the daytime up to Chinlock 5. That's right. At the Leon Center here in Kingston on June 15th. Um now it's uh, now tell us about the legends and who's all coming and, and what's going on. So uh, again, super super unique opportunity, not just for us wrestlers who now kind of get to mingle and learn from from all of these legends, but uh, you know all of the fans, of course, as well. From ten until four, have the opportunity to uh, meet and greet with Bret Hart, get your picture taken, uh, and get an autograph uh, on an eight by ten that's provided to you. You don't have to purchase anything when you walk in the door. You can um, purchase if you want to but uh when you buy your ticket uh and i've been to lots of comic cons and, and stuff usually when i buy my ticket i know going in that i'm gonna have to spend another couple of hundred dollars once i get in the door yeah um if you want to get a picture and an autograph that's included in your ticket price and that just doesn't it no doesn't, that's doesn't fantastic happen. yeah so you've got um brett the hitman hard our headliner you have uh the brain busters tully blanchard arn anderson that's uh, half of the four horsemen yeah half of the four horsemen and and for me um you know growing up against such a big tully blanchard fan this is going to be a, a really cool opportunity for me to get to meet him uh, and, as well and you kind of have an anderson look to you as well <laughs> it's the beard isn't it's, it it's the beard and the, and the, and the, bald, and the bald head, head? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 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 but it's not a bad thing it's a good thing <laughs> yeah i suppose you know um, uh, you know, and then they got uh, you have Jimmy Hart coming. Yep. You have Hornswoggle coming. Yep. Uh, you have uh, Mark got, Henry. Yeah, Mark Henry, which oh. is uh, you know, no no pun intended, but huge. <laughs> it, it is huge. Um, so many. Um, and the and the list goes on. Of course, Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. Uh, Billy Gunn, who just went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Is going to be there. Uh, who else do we have? I'm, I'm blanking. Oh, tugboat. Tugboat. So not only do you get tugboat, you're getting typhoon, and you're getting the shockmaster. Right. All in one. <laughs> yep. You know, and uh, so that is that is incredible. And then um, and and there's still more. Like there's still some of the talent that will be on. Like Willie Mack is going to be right. there. Yep. Um, you know. Um. Oh, oh, who am I thinking? Um. Madison Rain. Yes, Madison is Rain is uh, returning to Chinlock, and we're very proud to have her back. And not only that, during the the convention of the the, the convention. Uh, talking wrestling we'll have our booth we're going to do some raffles we're going to be doing a live podcast and uh, my producer will be there just pimping out the show because i'm gonna be running around getting autographs because <laughs> uh, because before we put the booth in yeah i bought as soon as the brain busters were announced even before bret hart yeah as soon as the brain busters were announced i bought the vip yeah for for everyone like yep. and then and then when jan said are you gonna put in a booth or whatever and i was like 
oh my god well what's that gonna cost and he said this amount like but for for um the house of hardcore show 44 yep um we we donated um enough money to become a sponsor for that show right so it was like there's no it's a no-brainer that i'm going to put the money into this show as well right so you know i'm very excited we're going to be there as well as there there's going to be matches uh smash is running matches during the day yep and uh so you're going to get to see tyson dukes you're going to get to see uh, the pillars of smash you're going to uh money brett bank brett banks and you're going to get to see uh Tarek. And uh, Sebastian Suave, it's 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 a great card, and then it's you know, it's a super card. Yeah. Like you, you have House of Hardcore, you have Chin Lock, and you have Smash all coming together. It's it, it's, it's, it's so huge. cool. And I mean, every time we sit down and have a, a meeting, whether it's creative or um, you know, as we sit down uh, to speak to sponsors or anything like that, and we start going through all of the different elements, as you just did. Like I mean. Sometimes it's hard that, that it, it hasn't quite sunk in just, you know, the, the massive event that we're going to bring to Kingston and every day that goes by, it becomes a little bit more real. And then, you know, when we finally get there, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to contain myself or my excitement because it's, it's just so huge. I don't even know. I'm going to be exhausted because 10 to 4 is going to be mind-blowing enough. Yeah. yeah I'm going to take an hour nap in my car. <laughs> the rental, and then I'm gonna come back in for five yeah. for the show that night. Um, and the show that night, luckily, because I had the VIP ticket, I have one. I have a, a ringside seat. That's right. But my producer's now with me, and he doesn't have a ticket yet, so he'll probably uh-huh. be sitting up in the. But I'll be like, what I might do is I might also actually I'm gonna say I'm gonna do this now. I'm gonna auction off my ringside seat. Not auction off. It's also gonna go in a raffle. And you can win a ringside seat. So if you're just coming to the Comic-Con, or the, I mean the WrestleCon, and you're listening now, uh, there will be a raffle, and I will be giving away a ringside seat. Wow. And I'll be going in the nose. Thank please. you. That, that's so, amazing. you know, <laughs> if we can donate that back, you know, because, like, um, you know, it's just like a, a, the draw will be either, will either just, I don't know, well, maybe it'll be a free draw, or maybe, because one of the draws I'm doing is going to be free. Luckily, uh, a few years ago, at, a, at maybe Chinlock 4 or Chinlock 3, um, I wanted a silent auction, and I want a whole uh, the Hart family silent auction. So I want oh, all these yeah. autographs. Great, yeah. And um, I've given some to the fans of the show before, because you know there was like four or five Jim Neidharts. Yeah. There were some Tyson's. Yeah. There was plenty of Natties. Yeah. So I have like a lot of like I give stuff away to the fans all the time. As the fans know, um, so um, we're gonna be auctioning off. Just if you subscribe to the show in front of us and follow a few of our social media platforms, yep. you do that in front of us, you can enter the raffle for an autographed 8x10 from Natty. That's Neidhart. cool. Uh, but we also have an 8x10 from Jim Neidhart, which you can't get anymore, autographed. <laughs> so this one will be like three tickets for $5. Right. And um, you know, and that, and then uh, and then we're also going to now auction off or, or raffle off uh, my, my ringside seat. That's pretty so, cool. You know, and uh, these are what we can do at the at the Comic-Con, and we'll be there from 10 to 4. And then the card that night is House of Hardcore, and we don't even know the full card. And it's, no, it's, I mean, and again, continues to evolve every single day. Um, I got some news today that I, I, I can't quite talk about yet, but I can assure you that um, – I'm 99% sure it's going to come to fruition, and if it does, it's massive uh, for the House of Hardcore side of that card. Well, they House of Hardcore bring in some big names uh, sometimes, and they have a lot of great guys they work with, and so I don't know who to expect. Like, it's not... I can't say... No, don't say anything, but it's not even out of the realm of possibility that the Young Bucks could just show up and super kick some people, or Bully Ray could show up Maybe. and do some stuff. It, it, who knows who's going to be that's, here? That's right. That's yeah. why you got to get your tickets now. Yeah. You got to go to the Leon Center. This isn't some rink. We're not in a rinky dink. Uh, we're not in, not, not that the, 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 the church hall was a rinky dink or anything like that, but this is where the Kingston Frontenacs play. Are they That's the Frontenacs? Right. Yes. And, and, you know, this is a hockey rink. This is a venue. This is where the Tragically Hit performed their last fucking concert. And this yeah. is where Leon's has brought in Chinlock 5, and you got to see it. You have to. You don't want to miss this. So with that said, uh, folks, we're going to go out on that. I can't stress it anymore. How excited we are to be a part of this. How excited uh, I know, well, like I'm sitting right across from Justin. He's beaming. It's going to be very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Oh my God, the boner you're gonna have for months after this whole show. Oh, you show. can see that, can you? <laughs> oh, sorry. He's <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Anyways, folks, uh, Justin. In the meantime, and in between time, where can we find you, and where where, where can we find you online, and. Uh, whether it be you or, or CJ, where can they find you online? So you can find CJ Felony Facebook. Uh, it's just facebook.com backslash CJ Felony. Same on Twitter, twitter.com backslash CJ Felony. Uh, chinlockwrestling.com uh, or Chinlock Wrestle on Twitter. Chinlock Wrestling, of course, on Facebook. Um, you can also find the wrestling school there as well. Just uh, type in Chinlock awesome. Wrestling School in the search bar and you'll find us. Awesome. Folks, you know where you can find us. Uh, you can find us because you heard it all at the start of the show. I don't need to repeat myself. I say it every week. But, hey, thank you for letting us put a headlock on your ears for a little bit. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to you next week. Uh, Case Corbin uh, for Never Sleep Networks. Talking wrestling. Uh, I can't even say that. Talking wrestling. You guys have a great day. And thanks for joining. In. Goodbye now. All right. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 